The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, on this day, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Genesis. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, 
For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams, or shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. We do pray, come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, giver of life. That you are present with us, that you are at work in our midst. We love you. We thank you uh, for this day. We thank you that we can worship together. We thank you that you teach us. Give us open hearts to, to learn and to grow in you, we ask. We pray all this um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And you can be seated. When I was in uh, seminary, I uh, took a class on evangelistic preaching. Uh, my uh, professor for that class was a man named David Larson, um, an awesome uh, professor. He was actually a pastor for a long time um, here um, in the Twin Cities at First uh, Covenant Church. We have a few folks who um, had him as a pastor, and from everything I've heard, uh, he pastored in the same way he taught, which was with incredible love and brilliant knowledge and uh, lots of wisdom. Uh, Pastor Larson, Professor Larson, uh, to me, had this deep, booming um, preacher's voice. Uh, he was actually kind of intimidating to learn preaching from because he was such a good preacher, and he just, again, could uh, enunciate in beautiful ways. Uh, when we just had our reading and, and the word Mesopotamia was in there, I'm like, oh, to hear Professor Larson say Mesopotamia would just be wonderful. Um, that's the kind of preacher he was. Um, and so in our class, in this evangelist and preaching class, one of our first assignments was everyone had to get up and share their testimonies, just a brief testimony, but he said, you know, one of the key ways to sharing about our faith, to sharing the good news of Jesus is to share our stories, to share our testimonies. And so students would take turns and then he would actually give evaluations on how well you, you shared your testimony. So one of the students was sharing at one point and uh, was talking about um, uh, the moment when he put his faith in Jesus. And he talked about praying the prayer um, and uh, confessing Jesus as Lord. He said, I was all by myself and I prayed that prayer. But I had just this overwhelming sense of the joy and of the love of Jesus. He said, my body actually physically got warm. Like I could feel my body affected by that prayer. And he said, I think it was the Holy Spirit. And from the back of the classroom, Professor Larson said, very likely, brother. Very likely. <laughs> uh, that term is stuck in my head. If you ask my children how often I say very likely, brother, or very likely, sister, it's probably at least once a week um, that I, I quote that. On this Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate, right, that 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, when the disciples of Jesus were gathered together, praying, worshiping him, that Jesus' promise that he would pour out power upon them was fulfilled. And he poured out that power upon them, right? And they responded to the work of the Holy Spirit. And Peter got up and preached and thousands came to faith in Jesus and were baptized on that Pentecost Sunday. 
But we also celebrate today, right, that the power of the Holy Spirit continues to be at work in our lives, right? That what took place on the Pentecost Sunday was not just for them, but we continue to live in the Spirit, right? And when we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus has told us that we will experience and, and uh, receive the work of the Holy Spirit, that that's what we receive as we put our faith in Christ, that we are filled with the Spirit of God. And I would suggest that oftentimes when we consider the work of the Spirit in our lives, uh, we may find ourselves, like uh, my friend in that seminary class, saying, I think it's the Holy Spirit, right? I, I'm experiencing this, I'm feeling this, I think it's the Holy Spirit. And there's a way in which that's, that's actually probably there's a right humility um, that uh, we should um, show when we speak of the work of the Holy Spirit. God's ways are above our ways. He works in mysterious ways. At one point, Jesus, in a um, conversation he was having with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, compared the Spirit to the wind. And he basically said, you know, just like the wind, the Spirit goes where he wants to go. And we can't always figure out, I'm paraphrasing, right, what the Spirit is doing. So there's a right humility to say, I, I think this is the Spirit, that's my sense, but I want to suggest that oftentimes when we say, I think it's the Spirit of God, that the Word of God, the Scriptures say to us, very likely. <laughs> very likely, right? What you're experiencing fits with what the Scriptures have taught. This is how the Spirit works, right? So we can look at the Scriptures and say, help us understand what is the work of the Spirit? What does it mean to experience the Spirit moving in my life? And today particularly, I want to um, focus in on John 14, right? Our, our, that's teaching from Jesus. We've actually been in 14, 15, 17 over the, the last few weeks. Um, a few weeks ago, I preached on the section before this, and you may remember on that section, well known, where it begins with, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus repeats it again in here. That's how much he wants the disciples to know. You don't need to be troubled. But I shared about, right, this is an anxious moment for the disciples. Jesus keeps talking about how he's going away. Right? And they're freaked out. They're like, how can you go away? You can't leave us, Jesus. And Jesus' response to them, to their anxiety, to their worry, is to assure them right, of many promises. He assures them, right, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Right? Your eternal destiny is promised to you as you put your faith in me and your trust in me. He's promised them, I'll continue to work. Right? I will do great things through you. You will continue my ministry and here in this section, he promises them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another helper, right? Another is actually a really important word there. Because what's their fear, right? What are they afraid of, right? Jesus, you're going away. And so when he mentions another, clearly he's saying, one like me, right? There's another one coming, right? There's another one really that's already there with them that they will experience in a new power, in a, in a new way. The Holy Spirit is there. But he's telling them, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you this helper. He'll fill you with this helper, another helper. All right, so um, that word um, helper, translated helper, um, you may be familiar with this if you've read this passage in different translations. It's often translated differently. This is one of those places where sometimes it's helpful to look at different translations, right? Because the word actually changes depending on the translation and their decision and how to translate that word. So sometimes translated helper, um, advocate, counselor, comforter, right? You may see all different sorts of words um, used uh, there. Actually, interesting enough, um, in the second chapter of 1 John, so a letter written uh, by John, the same author of this um, gospel, um, he um, says this using that same word. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he uses the same words, translated advocate, um, there, 
but to speak about Jesus. Right? So this is one like Jesus. We know it's, it's, one, it's one who is one with Jesus. Right? We understand as we affirm the doctrine of the Trinity that the Spirit is fully God, just as Jesus is fully God and the Father is fully God. One God, three persons. Right? But that's what he's making clear to the disciples, another helper. The word helper actually is in the Greek parakletos, not pair of cleats, although maybe that can help you remember that word if you want to remember the Greek word. But parakletos literally means one who comes alongside or one who walks alongside. If you think of that, isn't that beautiful? Here the disciples are, they're worried. They're like, Jesus, you can't leave us. And Jesus says, the Father will give you another one who walks alongside you. But that's what I've done for three years. I've walked with you. You've followed me. Now you, you will receive another one who is right there beside you. My personal favorite way um, to translate that word, not that any Bible translators have asked me for my opinion, uh, but it's um, counselor, because counselor actually can have a double meaning, at least in English, right? Counselor, we actually can use at times to speak of a lawyer, right? Your counselor, or your counsel, right? Your lawyer, right? And there's definitely a sense that that word parakletos has of a legal sense, right? This is one who, again, advocates for you, who defends you, who represents you. So in that sense, the helper is a counselor, but also, again, he brings counsel, he brings comfort to us, he brings healing to us. So counselor kind of is both, you know, a lawyer who actually you can also talk to and who really loves you and brings um, comfort um, to you. It's all kind of there in that work of the helper, the work of the Holy Spirit. When we look at this passage, what we can see very clearly, if we were to sort of give sort of a broad job description of the Holy Spirit, right, it's really clear the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus, right? I mean, in some ways, it's that simple. The Spirit of God brings to us the presence of Christ. And so Jesus, in this passage, it's, it's a little confusing when you read it, and you can feel a little bit like, what's happening here? Because he's both saying, I'm going to the Father, but he's also saying, I'm coming to you. And we can say, well, how could that be? How does he keep saying, I'm going to the Father, but also I'm going to be in you? Um, but then we realize, oh, it's because the Spirit brings the presence of Jesus to us. So that he can both say the Spirit will be in you. Um, in the end of verse 17, he will be in you. But then he can say, I in you. And the Father, and, and I in the Father, and the Father in me, and I in you. Right? I will indwell you through my Spirit. And so last week we affirmed Jesus has ascended into heaven, bodily ascended, that Jesus in a body continues to reign at the right hand of God. And yet we can also say Jesus is here with us, as he promised, when two or three gather in my name, as he promised, I will indwell you, right, through my spirit. So the spirit brings the presence of Jesus, even as we celebrate and honor that Jesus reigns over all things. He is here with us through his spirit. And so what are some of the ways, again, we experience the, the work of the spirit? So what are some of the very specific ways that we experience um, the spirit of God bringing the presence and the work of Jesus into our life? Well, one place is the spirit helps us to obey. The Spirit strengthens us to follow Jesus, to obey him. He says at the very beginning, verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's sort of two ways we can understand that. Right? One is he's saying, look, if you say you love me, right? if you proclaim me, if you confess me as Lord and Savior, well, then you need to obey. Right? Don't say you love me and then not obey me. Right? I, I think there's rightly that we should hear some warning in that. Right? I mean, again, I expect consistency. I expect, as you confess me um, and express your love to me, that obedience will follow out of that. But I think also, maybe even more importantly, I think there's a principle that Jesus is sharing here, 
which is as we love Jesus, right, as we worship him, as we live in, you know, love and awe of him, obedience will follow out of that, right? I mean, that's just kind of natural, right? As we grow in love with someone, especially, right, if they're sort of in a supervisory role, as we seek to honor them, um, we, we want to obey. That actually just is a natural sort of um, outcome of um, knowing the Lord, right, and knowing those and being in a love relationship, obedience follows. And so then we can consider, right, that obedience and presence are connected. That again, um, uh, if the Spirit of God brings the presence of Jesus, then it's understandably that as Jesus is present with us through the Spirit, that we're helped to obey. Because Jesus obeyed. That's one of the marks of Jesus' character, of his mission, is that he was full of obedience. One of the striking things about the Gospel of John is that John, of all the Gospels, is the most explicit, right, in affirming the divinity of Jesus. All the Gospels affirm it, right? We see the divinity of Jesus um, in all the Gospels, but John is so explicit, right? The Gospel of John is so explicit. It begins, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And so we see that throughout the Gospel of John, but even as it affirms the divinity of Jesus, the oneness of Jesus with the Father, the Gospel of John, we also see again and again Jesus speaking of his obedience, to the Father. I mean, maybe you noticed, right, in this reading, um, if you go um, to the next page, verse 21, it ends, um, uh, I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And then he says a couple of verses later, I do as the Father has commanded me. Now, Jesus, when he says the Father is greater than I, he is not denying the doctrine of the Trinity. He is not denying his oneness with the Father and his equality with the Father. But he is acknowledging his humanity, right? That's the way that verse has been understood in other verses like it, that Jesus is acknowledging he is fully man. He is fully human. It's always good when we have questions to go to the creeds and to say, what did the creeds say about us? Uh, well, there are three creeds that we affirm as a church. One of those is the Athanasian Creed. It's very long. Uh, we don't usually read it in our Sunday morning service. It's quite long. But it says this of Jesus, that he is equal to the Father as touching his Godhead and inferior to the Father as touching his manhood. And so it affirms, right? Jesus acknowledges, right, that in, in one sense, the Father is greater than he. And why that's important for us is we realize, oh, we are learning from Jesus what obedience for us as humans looks like. He is showing us in his humanity, this is what obedience looks like. And it's a joyful obedience. It's a longing, actually, to be obedient to the Father, right? The, Jesus celebrates. I'm so glad I can obey the Father. I joyfully do as the Father has commanded me. And so the Spirit of God brings the presence of Jesus to us, that we can know that same joyful obedience, that we can experience, oh, the love of God in inspires me, strengthens me, empowers me to obey. I was, I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, presence helps with obedience. There's a, a way in which sort of that happens in a negative way, right? I mean, it's like you have a boss and maybe you don't really like this boss, but you know, you don't really like your job, but when he shows up, you kind of have to do your job or when she shows up, right? You, you, you have to do it because they're watching you, right? I mean, maybe that's how we think of, you know, look busy, right? You know, the boss is, <laughs> look like you're obeying. But how different that is when actually you have a, a supervisor where you have someone that you're called to obey who you love obeying, right? Who actually is both a supervisor, but also a partner, Right? In that sense, their presence actually helps you obey because they help you right, in, in your work. Right? They encourage you. And actually, in that sort of dynamic, right, you want to actually obey. You want to do the work well to honor them. When you do a good job, actually, and it shines well on them, you're excited. Right? You're, you're glad. Like, oh, good. I did a good job. This will be a great you know, witness, a great um, uh, uh, shining light 
on the good work that we're all doing together. And that's, again, what the Holy Spirit brings to us, that help and obedience, that joyful obedience, and at times conviction when we don't obey, right? When we don't follow the way of the Lord, right? We may find, man, I feel kind of bad, right? And maybe we don't like that feeling. I, I never like it. But then we realize, oh, it's because I'm being convicted. It's because I love the Lord. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord in me is saying, that's not right. You actually act in a way that's not consistent with your love for the Lord. And again, there's actually freedom in that. As we experience conviction, the Lord invites us, repent and start following me. Turn away from the, the disobedience and turn towards the obedience. There's a joyful recognition in that. Even as we may be sorrowed by our sin and saddened in, in our conviction, we also have the freedom and the, through the Spirit to turn and to follow him. So he empowers us to obey. The second thing that we see so clearly in this passage is the Spirit of God teaches us, right? And Jesus says, right, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because neither sees him nor him, but you know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. Where in dwelt we receive the Spirit of truth. The Spirit teaches us. And then if you jump um, down to verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, that's actually a really important verse to remember in the context of what's happening here, right? Jesus is going to the cross. We know he will rise. Again, he will ascend into heaven. He is speaking to the disciples, right? The, the first leaders of the church, right? And, and through the disciples, these disciples and others, right, we will receive, right, the, the, what we've come to call the New Testament, right? The, the word of God, the witness to the teachings of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures, and so we're actually seeing a really important verse there about our doctrine of why we believe and trust the scriptures is because the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the scriptures. And that's what Jesus is assuring them there, right? The Holy Spirit will teach you. Peter talks about this, right? And in the book of 2 Peter, he says, you know, the, um, uh, the writers of the scriptures were carried along, inspired by the work of the Spirit. And so, yes, we can say, you know, John wrote this gospel, but we also say, well, God wrote this gospel, right? It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, because the Lord promised that he would work, his spirit would work through the writers, teaching them, bringing remembrance of all that he has taught them, right? And, and teaching us through them. And maybe you say, okay, yeah, that's great. But how do we know, like, John didn't just put that in? Like, John was kind of like, I want people to think that my gospel is actually written by the Holy Spirit, so I'll have Jesus. I'll just put those words in Jesus, right? I mean, anytime you use the scriptures to prove the, you know, reliability of the scriptures, there's questions that come up. Well, yeah, but that scripture saying scripture is true, right? Why should I believe that? And this is where it's so important to celebrate and remember the teacher, the helper, right, has been poured out on all God's people. Right, that the Spirit of God has filled right, his church. Right? Again, as we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Spirit. So even as the Spirit is working through the disciples and those who were sharing the truth about Jesus, right, the Spirit was resonating and confirming that truth among his people. And so when we consider the Scriptures and why do we trust the New Testament, why do we say this is the Word of God, well, we considered the fact right, that these letters as they were being sent out, these Gospels as they were being shared, Christians throughout the world, right, in a large geographic area, throughout right, hundreds of years, all continued to say, this is the Word of God. The Spirit of God that we experience in our community, the Spirit of God that I know through my faith in Jesus Christ resonates with what the Spirit of God is saying here. 
And that happened historically. Again, sometimes I think people think there was like this little committee that decided this is what the New Testament is, right? No, the people of God recognized, right, the word of God. They didn't decide this is the word of God. They saw this is the word of God because God is speaking to us through his word. He's leading us. He's confirming the truth, and we're experiencing that, right? And again, that happened over long periods of time, and that still happens today as we read the word of God. And I'm sure, and I hope all of you experience that. You read and you think, oh my goodness, this speaks directly into my life. It's 2,000 years old, and yet it's living and active. I experience God's truth as I read his word. He leads me through his word, right? And again, we experience that that continues to resonate with us um, today. And so that means, right, if the spirit of God inspired God's word, and that is the same spirit, he is the same spirit who has worked in us, then we can be assured the spirit of God will not lead us, will not teach us anything contrary to to the word of God. If you ever hear someone saying, well, this is just the spirit. I, I, the spirit's telling me this. The spirit's leading me to this. And that's not consistent with God's word. I mean, again, we don't want to be mean about it, but we can say, I don't think that's the spirit of God. The spirit of God doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't say one thing in his word and then speak to us a different thing. And that gives us, again, great freedom. Now, let me just add, because it's a huge question that comes up. Okay, well, good. The Spirit of God speaks through God's Word. The Spirit of God leads me, confirms God's Word in me. But what about when I'm facing decisions? What about when I'm, I'm following the Lord and He's leading in some way that isn't clear in the Scriptures, right? I feel like I'm being called to a new job. The new job isn't sinful, right? I'm, you know, I'm being called to be a hitman or something like that. I mean, it seems to be a good job. I'll provide for my family. It's consistent with my sense of God's calling, what He calls God's people to. How do I know if that's the Lord? Now, again, that's a huge question, and there's a lot to that, and that's kind of a separate sermon. But let me just take note here as we look at God's spirit at work, how much God works in community. Right? I think it's significant that Acts 2 right, begins with they were gathered together. They could have all been in their homes, right, praying, and the Holy Spirit could have been poured out, right? And the Spirit meets us in times alone with the Lord. But that the Lord chose when his community was together to pour out his spirit upon them. Jesus is saying this to the disciples as a group, right? Not one-on-one. And again, Jesus spoke to them one-on-one. But this is for a community. And again, I just encourage you to take that to heart. When you're facing decisions, when you're facing, how is God leading to remember he's given you a community? That's the way that the Spirit works. He works within community. And so you can ask others, pray for me. Is this your sense that the Spirit is leading this way? Again, I'm not saying a community can't make a mistake and mishear from the Lord. We know that can be the case. But I can tell you, it's made a huge difference in my life, and I know many of you can bear testimony, where when I had a certain sense, and as I began to share with others, I actually realized, oh, I, I think there's some blind spots I have. I need the help of God's people, right, who also have received the Spirit of God to give me. I can think of times in my life where actually someone shared something with me that was very wise, and my first reaction was, I don't like that. I don't like it, actually, because it's better advice than what I was planning to do, right? It's actually much smarter than what I was thinking. And then I realized, wait a second, I want the Spirit of God to lead me. The Spirit of God speaks through his people and leads us together as a community. So he teaches us. Finally, the Spirit of God brings us peace. There's so much we can say on that. But just, again, we have Jesus' words, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. I think it's significant he's saying that in the context of the helper well, the Father will give you the helper. You will experience the peace of God um, through. And so, of course, the Spirit of God brings us peace right? because Jesus brings us peace. Jesus said, right, I am the way. And the Spirit of God helps us follow the way. He helps us obey. Jesus said, I am the truth. And the Spirit of God is the spirit of truth. He teaches us the truth. And Jesus said, I am the life. And the Spirit of God confirms that. 
You have life in Jesus. You have abundant life in Jesus. And that brings us great peace. One of the ways we experience that peace is the Spirit of God manifests the presence of Jesus to us. Now, again, I've talked about the Spirit of God bringing the presence of Jesus to us, but when we talk about manifest, and that's a word that Jesus uses um, there, he says, I will love him um, and manifest myself to him. The idea of manifest is the Spirit of God um, opens our eyes to the reality of of Jesus' presence, right? Again, we can't in faith say Jesus is present through his Spirit. I I know that and I believe that because Jesus said that would be the case. But it's really nice, right, when the presence of God is manifested to us, when we experience that, right? I mean, we just shouldn't base our faith on feelings, but God created us with feelings. God created us to experience things. And I believe, right, that part of the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is you will experience the presence of God. Again, trust that he is present even when you don't experience him, but enjoy and welcome and embrace those experiences where God is showing you. Again, as I think of that first Pentecost, the Spirit of God could have been poured out on those disciples, and there didn't have to be flames of tongue, right? There are tongues of fire, right? There didn't have to be, right, a rushing wind. They didn't have to be different languages, right? I mean, the Spirit of God could have been poured out on them, and there, there didn't have to be a manifestation of that. But there was. God wanted them to see, look, you're experiencing my, my Spirit. He wanted the people to see it, to bear witness to that. Something's happening here. In the same way, I believe we can pray, Lord, manifest your presence to me. What does that look like? Maybe it looks like my my friend in the seminary class who experienced that sense of warmth, who had that sense of, wow, God is showing me right now that he is present with me. And maybe that's through dreams and visions, as the prophet Joel spoke about. Maybe that is through the word of God just being illuminated and having the moments where you're reading God's word and you realize, oh my goodness, this speaks exactly to what I'm experiencing. Maybe you've experienced where the word of God speaks to you and then later someone confirms it. Maybe that's through a prayer. Maybe that's through going to one of our prayer ministers and hearing a prayer for you and realizing, oh, that's what I've been praying. And you're confirming that, right? Actually, the spirit of God who's been leading me in my prayers is leading you. And that's a confirmation. My encouragement to you is if you feel like, man, I'm struggling in my faith. I am struggling to love the Lord in a way that leads to obeying his commandments. That's okay to pray, Lord, manifest your presence to me. Show me your presence, right? In community, in times alone with you, help me to see your presence. Again, the life of faith is a life where we live by faith and not by sight. But at the same time, at times the Lord does open our eyes and gives us those encouragements, those moments, and we can pray for that on this Pentecost Sunday. Lord, let us see in new ways um, your presence with us, your spirit's work within us. As we prepare for uh, a baptism in just a couple minutes of, of George um, Hanna, um, uh, we can affirm and we can celebrate that God works through baptism and the Spirit of God works in baptism. And that's not presumptuous for us to say the Spirit of God is at work through baptism because the reason we baptize is because Jesus commanded us to baptize, right? At his ascension, right before his ascension, he told his disciples, go make disciples and baptize them. Again, as we obey Jesus out of love for Jesus, we know he will work. So let's pray. Spirit of God, we thank you that we are not alone, that we are not orphans. Lord, you have given us your very spirit who indwells us, who is at work in our midst. Lord, we affirm that you are alive, and we know that again as we experience the work of your spirit, as we experience life in him. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you are the Lord and the giver of life. 
And so we pray, Lord, bless um, this baptism, bless this Pentecost Sunday, and may we always um, live um, knowing you walk beside us, that uh, you are with us. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.